0: And we are live with our 116th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co host, Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, Say hi.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We are very excited today to have Lewis and Pwn Function on to talk about Vue.js security stuff and that recent blog post that came out. Um, if you haven't read it, we will link to it here shortly. Uh, But always, always a pleasure to have new faces on. Uh, We've rubbed shoulders with Lewis and Pun Function in the past at different events. Um, But it's great to have you here. And, you know, we'll do introductions shortly uh, as far as housekeeping items go. Apparently I can't talk today, Ken. But as far as housekeeping items go, uh, we have announced the schedule for a midwinter nights con. Um, Let me post that up there really quick. Uh this is one this is a conference that we're running with Abdullah Monawar, Ben Pick, uh Dave Lintner. I, like we've got a whole bunch of people there. Stefan Edwards are all helping out with this, Logic Hill, like people that have been on the podcast in the past. Uh but um feel free to sign up. It's a free couple day event. Uh, we'll just be streamed here on our uh, YouTube channel, uh, but very similar to what we did for a Midsummer Nights Con. We had a good good turnout there and good discussion. We're hoping for the same here. So please go register, go sign up. The only thing you have to give us is an email. We'll just notify you when it starts. Um, yeah, I think that's everything that I've got for now, Ken, uh, unless there's something I'm forgetting. Nope, you're that's good. It. All right. So let's jump in to actually, let me show this link really quick. Uh, there's midwinter nights Con link for the registration and all the other information on it. And we are fleshing out some of the uh, talk topics as we get them from different speakers. So that's December 16th and 17th. Um, all right. So bone function, Lewis. I'm not sure who wants to go first, right? Um, obviously the, hmm. uh, the research that came out recently, it's been, what, a week or so? I guess it's been a few weeks, right? It's been about a month. I think it's been about
2: been about yeah. a month, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but before we dive into the Vue.js stuff, um, do you mind doing a quick introduction? Maybe we'll start, Pwn function. we'll start with you. Um, just tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry. Uh, obviously, we don't want to you to dox yourself or anything like that if you don't feel like <laughs> it, but... Um, however you want to introduce yourself, what you work on, what you're interested in, that'd be great. Sure.
3: Um, uh, I'm Pwn Function, or I play the character of Pwn Function. Uh, And um, I'm 22 years old. I'm from India, primarily. And uh, I work as a security consultant, independent security consultant. uh, And um, in my free time, I I like to make uh, YouTube videos. Mostly, uh, how I got to the industry, uh, I've been always, you know into uh, hacking and everything, from watching movies and playing games and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, over time, uh, as a, I started out as a developer, and then you know over time watching movies and everything, I kind of got interested in uh, the security aspect of it because it was more creative. In, in my opinion. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's how I actually got into the industry.
0: What, what do you mean by, uh, more, what bits were more creative? I mean, I, I think I know, but just for the, for the listeners, I, I think they, they might be curious. Right. Um, a creative in the sense that it's, it's, it's like
3: a free world. Uh, you get to break the rules, bend however you want. And then, uh, uh, connect things together, which we're not supposed to uh, in the original sense, and then uh, eventually come out. Uh, uh, eventually, you have a result which impacts on a huge scale. So, yeah, that's what I mean by when it's creative.
0: Those are the most fun when you chain things together and you end up with a yeah. nice little exploit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Should we move on to Lewis?
2: Sure. <clears throat> Sweet. Sure. Make sure I unmute my microphone this time. Before we started, I uh, forgot to mute it, and I was just talking to Seth, like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm being ignored. <laughs> <Cool>.
1: <laughs> um,
2: so, yeah, hi, I'm Louis, Lewis, uh, Lewis Ardan, uh, So I, I, I guess from my background is I went to college when I was, like, you know, quite young, and I, went, I was doing, like, an IT technicians class, like, repairing computers and stuff. And one of my professors there at the time basically said, like, you should go and do security because you'll make a lot of money. And I was like, well, I guess money's good, and I don't really know what I want to do. So I figured, okay, I'll take a look at that path. And, you know, it ended up not being about the money, but more about the passion and the things that you can do in that type of field, like finding vulnerabilities in systems, understanding how systems work at a very fundamental level is very interesting. And obviously, you know, without having developer experience too, it's very hard to really fundamentally understand that. But I, th- I, I find, like, you know, security allows you to kind of, you know, understand and break barriers in certain ways that allow you to get to a higher level of understanding and uh, execution. But So I went to university uh, to do a hacking degree uh, in in the UK. And then I went to work at a a company that got acquired by uh, NCC. And then I went to go work at Sigital, which then got acquired by Synopsys uh, down in London. And then I um, ended up moving to the US through Synopsys. And now that's where I still work as an associate principal consultant at Synopsys. Um, my main area of expertise at the moment is primarily like client-side security and modern web security. So looking at frameworks, understanding the client side, you know, aspects of the browser, all those types of things. And then also, you know, understanding like
1: Node.js, TypeScript and so on. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, so I guess it makes sense then, Lewis. And, um, you know, with the article that that came out or the blog post that you guys did, and I know there was a couple others that were involved with that as well. Um, but so maybe we can start there if you, if the two of you want to explain, right? Like, what was the impetus to getting started on the VueJS security side, and then we can dig into the particulars of it. Yeah, I could probably break
2: down like how I actually got into even looking at the client side stuff, and it kind of it kind of coincides with Gareth. And also then obviously bringing in Pwn Function too. So um, a long time ago, I used to do a lot of like looking for cross-site scripting and obviously finding XSS mm-hmm. is fun. Um, but then obviously all these new frameworks started to come out and you know, there was, you know, Mario Heydrich, there was Gareth Hayes, and there was all these <clears throat> wonderful researchers that started to look at like AngularJS and the AngularJS sandbox like back in the day. and what kind of obviously was very interesting to me there is because you have all of these new frameworks and they have some of these what weren't really classed as security protections or were security protections that were being abused and misused in certain ways so i guess it started off by looking at like secure53 and created this um, blog a github post a while ago on mustache security and it kind of like coincided with me because i was very interested in the topic um, to go and look at like how frameworks are being used and Q53 happened to release something on like Vue.js. And in their documentation, it says that it's not very interesting to look at from a security perspective because it doesn't really have like the things like AngularJS had like sandboxes and all these different things. So you could just execute arbitrary JavaScript and get eval, you know, new function, move on. It's all done. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the, the kind of core premise of where I started to look into these things was through mustache security. And they like they're saying nothing to see here. Let's move on. Um, but then obviously you started to look at things like AngularJS and when Gareth and all those types of people started to release the research into like bypassing the sandbox, even though it was technically not a security boundary, um, you know, but the fact that they, the fact that they were fixing it kind of means it was, but at the same time it wasn't. Um, ultimately led to me to start talking to Gareth about how to. Um, improve some of the sandboxes. Not sandbox escapes per se, but how to reduce payloads with inside AngularJS. So that's kind of where that started to navigate to. And then Gareth and um, Gareth and Mario and et cetera weren't that interested in looking at uh, Vue just because it didn't really have much other than you could already execute, you know, an expression with constructor.constructor constructor and you're done, like, because it will automatically render that if it's inside of view kind of either component or uh, inside a view bound page. So that they were kind of bored with that, but I like to understand how um, frameworks could potentially be misused at a very certain level, which means um, ultimately um, looking at all the different types of things a framework can do and how they could potentially be misused. Um, so this kind of led into the, obviously I didn't do this, but Google did some research into script gadgets which ultimately is, if you don't know what a script gadget is, it ultimately is either using some HTML or JavaScript that leverages um, basically components of a framework that of lead you to get to JavaScript execution, which obviously can lead to cross-site scripting, which wouldn't normally happen in a vanilla or generic web application. And then this is kind of where things stemmed from. So Google released script gadgets, um, which was obviously very cool in like 2017 and then basically, I started to look at how to improve Angular JS payloads, which then took me down the rabbit hole of looking at how to improve uh, the React payloads. Which then uh, coincided with um, talking to Gareth nonstop, and then we posted the payloads onto Twitter. And then I guess that's kind of where Pone Function came into play. Uh, so I'm now going to pass it over to Pwn Function, and he can talk about how he got into it. But that's kind of like where things stemmed from, and, and Pone Function can take it from there. Awesome, thank you, Lewis.
3: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, like he said, I joined in because they were posting. I think I saw like Portswigger make a post um, that they've updated the cheat sheet with VueJS payloads and stuff. Uh, there were only like three or four of them, and then I I had written some code in Vue before. Uh, then I I looked at it and I was like, okay, they're they're missing out a lot of um, attack surface. Not really attack surface, but like. Uh, payload surface, you could say, like they were not using event handlers and stuff like that. So I thought, maybe let me do some um, quick digging and uh, post more payloads so that they can update the uh, cheat sheet. I went around and um, started finding stuff and then uh, tweeting about it. And eventually, we were all going back and forth, uh, posting, you know, Uh, shorter and shorter payloads, uh, sort of like having a code golfing competition kind of a thing. Uh, And then since we were interested in it, uh, Gareth actually created a group and he added both of us and uh, we figured out it's better to, you know, use our knowledge collectively and do more research on it and then maybe maybe do a talk or something. Originally, that was the idea. Uh, But since we all got busy, we thought a blog post would do just fine.
0: So, yeah. Working sort of asynchronously, asynchronously there a bit. Awesome. Yeah, so
2: the the interesting thing about that was that we were all on different time zones. And uh, I've never actually spoken to Porn Function <clears throat> through yeah. audio. So this is the first time this is happening, which is quite surreal for me. Uh, But uh, I just want to obviously say like I think a lot of the research wouldn't have happened I used to wake up in the morning and like Function and Gareth because he's in the UK were already working on a lot of the things and I'd wake up and I'd see this like giant DM thread of like all these different payloads and ideas and I'm just like Guys, I haven't even woken up yet. Like what's going on? It was like crazy to see like the kind of work that they've done and obviously I think this this blog post wouldn't have been you know, possible without, you know, Gareth and, and Pwn and Function. It was, a, you know, obviously a collected effort, but, you know, Gareth, is, Gareth and Poe Function are legends, so I'm, I was very happy to be part of the, the journey with them. Awesome. You're
3: giving me too much credit.
2: <laughs> I don't think so.
1: <laughs> it's all about jumping in, right? That's, uh, I don't know, I, I mean, it's interesting how that works, right, from a, you know, across the kind of the different time zones perspective. Cause I, I mean, I like I'm with you, Lewis, right. If I wake up and I always have this problem with, I'm working with people in Europe or on the East coast is I wake up and I see these huge threads and I'm like, ah, I'm like, I'm already, you know, four hours behind where I need to be, even though I'm just starting my day, it causes me to actually jump in and do probably more than I necessarily would first thing in the morning. It's a good thing, but it's also kind of a stress inducer, at least for me. Um, on you know getting stuff done, but anyway, so I, I mean it was yeah that like I'm I'm reading through the article, but I don't want to give it away too much, right? Like obviously you've got all the payloads, the XSS cheat sheet that we that we posted, um, but yeah, let let's let's dive in a little bit to, Vue.js and you know what the issues are there and you know why it is interesting from that perspective on the client side I mean Lewis you spoke a little bit about it that initially Vue.js who was kind of um, I guess put to the side because it wasn't as interesting but you kept mm-hmm. digging and now we've got this you know the blog post that came about so what is it that brought you back to it was it just the understanding diving in or like did something change within the landscape it, what happened there? So I'll leave part of this for
2: Pound function to answer, but I guess from from my from my perspective, like what I, I, I along so before I started to um, look at Vue, I was spend, I was part of a research team uh, with uh, Codoscope, which was acquired by Synopsys as well, and we were looking into like Angular JS and like how the entire ecosystem works, like mapping it out to a certain degree, being able to understand all the dangerous functions, being able to understand you know potential dangerous sources and sinks and those types of things. Um, And of course, that kind of correlates to also Vue as well. I didn't obviously do any research uh, with Codescope and Vue because it was probably pretty premature at the time uh, because it was AngularJS at the time rather than Angular. Um, But um, yeah, that led me down the path of like, so I'm really interested in things like blind cross-site scripting. So obviously like trying to get execution in systems that you generally can't see like an admin page or like a customer support page or something like that. And obviously, the, the more people kind of migrate to these you know, languages and frameworks, um, uh, you're gonna need to use different types of payloads to be able to potentially execute your uh, context. So to give some, some examples, you know, with some uh, companies are still leveraging, they're migrating from you know, uh, legacy systems to incorporate new pages which are kind of bootstrapped with something like Vue or Angular or React and so on. And obviously you want to try and find payloads that or like execution context that might work uh, in that particular context. So like, I did some research into like how you can do blind cross-site scripting in uh, all of the um, different contexts of AngularJS because AngularJS has all of these different sandbox escapes. So every payload ultimately was different for the various different versions, uh, which then led to me like, okay, so how can you get execution in view uh, as well? So. You know, obviously there's you know curly braces you know with expressions but then there's also um, you know basically script gadgets which allow you to leverage components of the of the framework itself so looking at directives looking at all these different things so what i spent some time doing was reading all of the documentation uh, that is obviously accessible on vue which was vue 2.0 at the initial time before vue 3 was released and we started to look at how you could leverage some of the either like the shorthand syntax or um, shorter directives that would allow you to get a shorter execution context. Because there's been very interesting uh, kind of scenarios I've been because I you know am a pen tester by trade or to not, not much anymore because I, I do a lot of code review these days compared to pen testing. But um, yeah, so when I do pen testing, sometimes there are scenarios where you know the the input box only accepts arbitrary amount of numbers or, sorry a, a subset of characters and if you're trying to use something like what was an angular js payload um, which was massive like if you think about 1.5.9 that was found by i believe the guys works at now at google it was about this, this big compared to like if you could find a payload about this big then it would be able to be accepted in a lot in a lot more attack vectors from a dynamic you know black box perspective um, so that's kind of where I was going with it to, to begin with. But then I think it's really important for like when people start to leverage these frameworks, you need to understand it as a as someone who's going to be reviewing them as a security practitioner. You need to know the framework and you need to understand what's going on, which is why looking at the documentation, trying to take a look at the source code to some degree, which obviously is, is documented in the, uh, in the blog post and kind of takes you down a path of being able to get shorter payloads, uh, you know, things that might be used uh, and, and so on. So that's kind of like where I was going. There's obviously more I could say, but I'll pass it over to Pone function to, to add anything you might want to add.
3: Yeah, sure. Um so like he said, uh it it is useful in in the context of um blind XSS and stuff like that. But also um in certain scenarios, um bypassing CSP would be important, such as um let's say uh, there are websites who are allowing only specific domains, or um, you know, they're not—they're strictly not allowing any sorts of uh, unsafe evaluates
0: any any of that matter. The main thing, so like sorry. script source or yes. default source or any of those types of CSP directives that limit certain resources being loaded from sites, you're just like needing yeah. to bypass um, that.
3: Uh, VueJS does require unsafe eval that's a good thing uh, for hackers at least Um, but (laughs) uh, let's say uh, you're not allowed to directly inject any JavaScript uh, using script tags or image SRC or any any of that Uh, let but some in some cases um, when there's a a Vue.js library within uh, the website you have access to it you can use these script gadgets Uh, to, you know, essentially get uh, JavaScript execution or basically XSS at the end of the day. Um, What we've gone through the um, entire blog post is that uh, we've we've listed out all possible ways or all possible ways that we could find and also um, the length of them, uh, like shorter ones and smaller ones and whatever that is. So, yeah... um, also, we, I think we touched upon mutation XSS a bit on the, uh, on the um, blog post. And that was mostly, um, uh, you know, tricking the Vue.js compiler uh, to parse uh, the, uh, the tags differently, or uh, it, it just acts weird. But anyways, uh, it's pr- primarily used for uh, bypassing CSPs. And uh, yeah, that, that's mostly it, I guess.
2: There was one other thing that we did find as well that, you know, because of the mutation, you could bypass things like web application firewalls. And at some point there is a potential use case of bypassing sanitizers too, because ultimately you're going to have some valid looking HTML that shouldn't really be, you know, anything should be removed. But when you get it mutated by view, because it's transforming it in a particular way, you could potentially leverage it to bypass things like a sanitizer, or, you know, as we did show in the blog post, that you could also use it to bypass things like a, a WAF, um, because it, that that's a very unique case. Like there's not many frameworks that actually mutate, you know, sometimes, I mean, obviously browsers, you know, have closing tags that automatically close for you, but this was like creating brand new comp- uh, new, you know, Properties that shouldn't really exist in a generic way, and this was only happening due to Vue. Now I'm going to post something because it's kind of um, important to obviously document. You know, a lot of the work that we did, um, and obviously the creator of Vue kind of commented on it, and obviously I think it was obvious to myself and Gareth and Pone, but some people who haven't looked at the framework before, and um, they like um, Evan, you and I'll just say he says. Uh, reference to our uh, paper is to clarify everything outlined in this article is based on the assumption that you're allowing arbitrary third-party code injection into your view templates which is the number one thing we warn against in our security docs. Obviously my argument there is that just because it's in the security docs doesn't mean people are going to follow it and uh, if you're not doing things like what angular does like head of time compilation compared to what's happening in in the the components that we were looking at in 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 view it's it's obviously going to happen. It's inevitable. Um, so like if you think of like a like I'll, I'll paste a <clears throat> a JS Fiddle, which people can take a look at and like this is what I class is like a silent sync um, where you're basically leveraging like jQuery.text which technically by default is going to do output encoding but in like a, a framework like Vue it's going to ultimately lead to cross site scripting. And this is because um, of the way it's basically, you know, taking that um, expression and evaluating it. So um, this won't happen in things like Angular two and above because of like things like ahead of time compilation. But um, due to the, the way things like Vue works, this is a potential concern. So, like. Just because it's in the security documents isn't, doesn't mean it's actually going to not happen in, in, in these uh, applications, is what I'm so, trying to say. So
0: to clarify, are they saying, like, if I wanted to uh, include a, a third-party JavaScript file for a marketing widget or something like that in my code or for a payment-related, um, like Stripe or something like that, and mm-hmm. I'm including that into the Vue.js, and then that's the um, essentially considered the arbitrary third-party code?
2: I think it's anywhere where input could be treated as um, as potentially code. I guess is what they're trying to say. Um, I don't Seems know, like a lot. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I mean. It's very hard to say. Like just 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 because like it doesn't have to directly be in the template itself. Um, it can just be like if you bind something inside a divider and the injection point is inside that divider, uh, it's ultimately going to lead to potential things like cross-site scripting. Um, So obviously if you do like HTML entities, and I guess that's in PHP, right? And that doesn't, you know, think of curly braces in in this context. So curly braces aren't HTML special characters, which would then take you down a path of XSS through Vue.js, for example. It would be the same in Angular, for example, but it wouldn't be in something that already has ahead of time compilation. It doesn't really happen in React because of the way I think it's the rendering engine works or it's just it's just a small library and it doesn't do that type of things. There were issues in the past which you could kind of create React properties which could take you down a path of adding things like J- dangerously set in HTML, but you can't do that anymore. So like, there's only really two frameworks I think have these types of issues. At the moment, from what I've seen, I'm sure there are more, but the popular ones, which is obviously AngularJS, which is going to die soon. It's going to... Uh, um, end of life is 21 2021, 2020 around that time. Um, and then obviously there's Vue.js. so just be, I, all I was trying to say is that just because it's said you know in the security documentation that this is the one thing you shouldn't do doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Uh, it's the same like you shouldn't add input into a dangerous set in a HTML, but it happened for signal. you shouldn't add uh, bypass security trust. But I've seen that happen thousands of times by developers. Like just because there are, you know, dangerous APIs there doesn't mean people aren't going to leverage them in an insecure way. So
0: Yeah, and doesn't that kind of mean that just basically any user input which will inevitably inevitably be reflected back on the page is now considered untrusted third party code in a way? No,
2: not not necessarily. I mean, if it's going in like if like for example, if you're doing it the view way. Then it's mm-hmm. very unlikely that you're going to have this issue. It's when you start to like use either like another third-party library, or which could like then ultimately lead uh, to something like that, or or if you're just doing things in a very um, kind of taking uh, like a legacy application which already has things like JSP, you know, kind of things embedded or whatever, then you could go down that path. But I think if you're doing things like from the ground up in Vue, it would be very unlikely <clears throat> to find XSS in this particular way. Um, I don't know if Pwn function has a different thought on that, but I feel like if you're doing it the Vue way or if you're doing it the angular way, it's very unlikely that these things are going to happen, but um, obviously that still is the edge cases.
0: So this ahead of time compilation, just one last question on that. Is this, so this is uh, not included in Vue, but uh, is this the reason why unsafe in inlines required? Is it because they cannot generate nonces for that code? Like, and then print it out on the page and have that included. And I mean, is it just like,
2: so I think that um, I think view needs unsafe eval, not unsafe inline. Uh, So
0: that's what i meant. sorry.
2: Yeah. um, No, it's because they, I think they call like new function, uh, which obviously is dynamic execution. So they, they call basically properties, which would be classes and evaluation. Right. Is that right? uh, Pwn function. And yes,
3: yes. Uh, They use the uh, function constructor, I believe. Uh, So, uh, they use the new f- function to generate the uh, string to actual JavaScript code at the end uh, from the templates. So they're actually using unsafe eval, f- eval to do that. But you there's an option to do the other way around as well, like the ha- ahead of comp- uh, a- ahead of time compilation is also an option to do. But it's uh, you know if you're gen- generally just using it as a library uh, via the uh, let's say it's source script tag, just include the library and then uh, just cram in some templates to work with. In that kind of scenarios, uh, it does use the unsafe eval part to generate the code.
2: That is true. Uh, Yeah, obviously I just want to, I guess I'll rephrase what I just said. So by default, it doesn't have AOT, but if you have things like Angular, uh, where you basically release a prod, just do the dash dash prod flag, and that's normally embedded in most applications. It automatically does AOT for you. So it's very unlikely that that's going to happen in a framework like Angular. I'm not saying it's better. Like, I'm really not saying it like the, both of the security properties, which are automatically embedded in Vue and Angular, are very good. They obviously just have different features. Um, but by default, obviously, if you're just, what uh, Pwn function said is basically, if you're just using it out the box, you know, embedding it as a, as a JavaScript library, um, you know, and then creating some components with it, then you, you might go down a path of having potential expressions or script gadgets potentially being <clears throat> abused inside your application. Obviously, it's very slim from a ground-up application, but you know, not everyone builds from ground up. Sometimes they're incorporating from different teams, which may be leveraging other components and you know, and so on.
0: Yeah, when I looked this up, the first few like things I saw were GitHub comments saying that the uh, unsafe eval is only needed for the full version of UJS, but the runtime version doesn't need it. That's uh, what I was reading. This is an interesting problem because it really is very much like how you use it. And I know you guys are going to talk about it, but it's pretty interesting. That they're using this new, uh, creating new functions on the fly. So you, I'm, I mean, we talk about Seth, we talk about metaprogramming, code writing code, and the vulnerabilities yep. that it introduces, especially with dynamic variables being user input. And to me, this reads like another crafty way of doing that. Yep. So far. That's awesome. But yeah, so I think what, without giving it away. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry,
2: go ahead. So I'll probably let Pwn Function talk about that more. But I think what one interesting thing that we found through the code golfing is that um, they had like these particular scope properties that you could use, which ultimately led to accessing the function constructor. Um, so like, that's the reason why in, in version two, we were able to access like things like underscore C, underscore B, because they had these kind of properties that were accessible inside the application, which kind of led us to be able to make smaller payloads uh, through, through that usage. Um, but I'll let Poen talk more about um, the kind of, you know, the, the internals of our view.
0: Was that, was that the actual underscore library?
2: No no no, 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 no. So the underscore, underscore
0: notation, the
3: underscore
2: notation of our okay. of yeah. defi- Unders- definition. For example,
3: for example, underscore c is for creating components. It's like a uh, S internal function uh, that is used to create components. I believe, if I'm not wrong.
2: Yeah, it's been over a month since I've looked at that. Like, with the, yeah. we finished the, we finished yeah. the research before we wrote the blog post, so it's kind of like it's been some time since we've actually looked at it. And again, like the actual the research wasn't re- we didn't really think of it as like trying to find script gadgets to begin with. It was really just like we want to see like what kind of quirky things that can happen inside Vue. And then it basically when we were finished with all the work, it was like, oh, actually, this is all about script gadgets. So like that's kind of why like um, the, the kind of blog post became what it was but we were really just interested in like to seeing like how much code golfing we can do how much uh, research we can do in the actual framework itself maybe we can find a way to execute javascript with inside the actual like rendering aspect of it which obviously we didn't get anywhere with that because the way it's in the way it's done uh, it's not really possible from what we could see uh, but there's so much more research that we could have done, and we would like to, like Poon Function and I were and, and Gareth were talking about it. Like we haven't looked at things like server-side rendering, we haven't looked at um, like any of the other. We didn't really look at routing. We didn't really look at like anything to do with the, um, the kind of additional things that come with Vue, which are still maintained by the Vue uh, maintainers. Um, so yeah, there are tons I... of things that could be done. So.
0: You look like you're, or you, 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 this research seems like it's, you're going down the path of one specific category. But yeah, it definitely does seem like there's probably a lot more to, to, to get into. But yeah, it's just funny that you say that, you know, like a month or two is like you completely mem dumped it because I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I feel like I say that all the time. Like people are like, Hey, you just looked at this app two or three weeks ago and they have questions. And I'm always like, I don't, I don't know. That was too, that was, <laughs> Might as well have been 10 yes. years ago, honestly. I just, I just yep. dump it the second it's over. It's funny to hear y- y'all say that too.
2: I mean, there, there are things <laughs> that you still remember. Like there's like, there's certain pen tests that I do where I can still tell you everything that's going on with it. And it's more like if it's a more interesting project to me. Uh, but like these research type things are like really tight. Like they're kind of pr- pretty overwhelming, I think, in t- in some regards. And, you know, when something's overwhelming and you finally get it and you're done, it's like, like release, and it just kind of <laughs> yeah. just kind of like dis- disappears. But I mean, obviously, there's still lots of things that uh, we could have done, and we and we would like to in the future. And it doesn't need to be Vue. You know, there could be other frameworks that we might want to take a look at. Um, but Vue, obviously, was just it just kind of originated due to that initial kind of thing about the. Uh, I guess it started with Angular JS payloads, and then kind of migrated over to to Vue.
0: Nice, yeah. Cool. I feel like I cut pawn function off though. So I should let <laughs> y'all inter or you interject. Sorry.
2: Sorry, I I don't think I heard that. Uh, so I I wanted Pwn Function because I he did a lot of the research on things like teleport and kind of how you adapted uh, the payloads to to, to uh, the version three and those types of things. Uh, so like, basically, like when we started to look at Vue, it was written in version 2, and then when we were going through the research, version 3 came out in beta, I think, and then uh, I think Gareth and, and Pwn function primarily looked at those types of things. But what were the kind of interesting things that you found when you were looking at the teleport stuff and, and some of the mutation stuff?
3: Right. So um, initially, I think we focused primarily on code golfing payloads, who gets the shortest version. Uh, And eventually, um, I think Gareth started to look at mutation XSS and things of that nature. But I I was more um, interested in what the Vue.js, the framework itself offers, such as its features, um, such as view directives and things like that. Um, So we... We eventually got around uh, figuring out all of that um, features and one of one of the cool ones were teleport which basically lets you teleport some part of code into a um, let's say you have some code that you want to teleport into a div tag you can you can do that uh, like open a portal on one side and have another one on the other side just target it uh, by giving a query selector and it will just automatically put that code uh, in there so the VueJS does that all by itself, and it was interesting because so let's say you have—I'm not sure it worked on script tags. Did it work on script tags? Uh, I've forgotten it.
2: I think it may have, um, but but I'm pretty I would sure. double
3: check. But I'm pretty sure it worked on uh, like uh, style tags. So you have like a style tag, which is only you know, which is outside the scope of the uh, view uh, root. Uh, div or the root component, uh, You what you can do is use teleport to jump out of it and push code to other, uh, you know, ta- HTML tags, such as, let's say, style tags. And it could be interesting uh, for style tags but because you can make, let's say, arbitrary requests uh, by, um, you know, uh, using background URLs and things like that. Um, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's one potential way of... Um, uh, compromising the application in certain ways, but the the thing is, Vue.js had a whole lot of cool features. There was even at some point reverse teleporting, which is I don't think it's not uh, really documented or anything. I was just looking over the source code and I uh, came across the weirdness, and I was debugging it, and eventually got to a point that okay, this is this works, right? So. Yeah, there was there was a lot of undocumented kind of things as well. Uh, but v, in the end, Vue.js has a lot of features. In in good situations, you can leverage them and uh, exploit it to the fullest. I guess.
0: Very cool. And I popped up on the screen um, just sort of the proof of con or the the walkthrough and the proof of concept that you had listed on the article for teleport where it shows. Um, So that's the query or that's the attribute selector. I assume the div tag uh, that you're going to want to send this data to like this bold test. Uh, The contents of the tag are transferred to text nodes, decode and transfer works. This works for script style and elements. There's your proof of concept. So that's kind of crazy. You can actually just manipulate elements on the page through this tag. Huh? Yes. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, personally as a developer, I'm trying to figure out, okay, the teleport function where I would be actually using that, right?
3: Uh, I think one good place for that would be uh, meta tags. You, you uh, if you create a view, view or Makes any front end application, you have like a root div, and inside that you have to put all the code in there. All the component uh-huh. goes in there, but you you're not directly allowed to access the head tag and put meta tags or whatever. In that can in that case, maybe you're allowed to jump out of it, or even creating modals and things like that. You might have problems having you know isolating it to a specific container. Sometimes you want to go outside of it. So in that case, teleport might be useful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I can see that. I mean, I can see the function. It, it it does, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like from a danger perspective, it does feel pretty dangerous because it is, I mean, it is metaprogramming, right? At some level, you're injecting code from one portion of the app into another portion and then running it. Um it's yeah. for dark mode, Seth. That's why. It's for dark mode. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is, right? I'm sure you could use it that yeah. way. <laughs> Reverse teleport. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I was reading about that, trying to understand that, too. But that was it, the undocumented. Oh, the that undocumented. The un-
3: yeah, yeah.
2: I think it's also because uh, version 3 is still relatively new, so there's a, probably a lot of features that haven't really been truly documented that are going to be leveraged to a certain degree. Um, I don't know if it's like fully out of beta yet, but like last time we were looking at it, it was still like you had to go to like a different website to access the V3 docs kind of thing and all that kind of stuff. So it was still relatively fresh in everyone's mind. And it was still, I don't like it. It was like on a separate, I don't know if it was on a separate GitHub, but it was definitely separated from what was the current latest version. Yeah. It was like V2 something.
1: Yeah. I I mean, part of what I dig about the research, right, and what you guys have done here is that, you know, it is very code review centric. Ken and I talk about that a lot. And I know, Louis, you're doing a lot of that as well. But the fact that um, the security issues that were identified all come from, hey, we combed through the code of actually what's running view and noticed this, this, and this. And then we're actually able to dynamically execute those payloads and those functions, right? Um, I I don't know about you, but at times I get pushed back on the whole code review on, oh, well, you could just run, you know, Veracode or whatever in a static analysis tool and, you know, it would find anything that would be potentially dangerous. But there's no way that that static analysis tool would have picked up like this function call and how that execution is happening because it is like, yeah, I mean, the, the way that it's generating the content and what's dynamic and custom versus what's not. I, like there's just so many variables there that the attack surface is huge on these frameworks. And we don't think about it a lot of times because it's like, oh, well, they're just importing view or they're importing react or whatever. So we're going to trust that. And we're just going to look at the custom code. That's that's a lot of what I see.
2: Yeah. I mean, when we first started to look at the angular stuff a long time ago, when I used to be on the research team, uh, we, we were, I was told by my mentor, uh, David Johansson to basically try and, build a, a, mini, a miniature fret, not even a miniature fret model, try and fret model AngularJS because that's going to allow you to, like not even like, you know, how an applicant developer would use it, but how it's actually like the internals and, you know, like how does the sanitizer work? How do they all kind of correlate together uh, and those types of things and then potentially think of potential some pitfalls there and then you probably could do a code review to kind of, you know, argument if that's actually going to be secure or not. Um, the same for, I guess you could do it with some of the view components too. We didn't do that, obviously, in the research. It was more like, we needed to understand how things worked and we wanted to take a look at the code to kind of leverage that. We spent a long time trying to find arbitrary code execution in the kind of, you know, rendering aspect uh, of like when it was taking a a template and trying to kind of convert it into its particular uh, syntax, but there was just no way after looking at the code that that would have been possible. The one, if people do want to kind of get into like understanding like how to do that, I I remember Gareth Hayes uh, wrote a very amazing, Angular JS like sandbox escape thing um, uh, on on the Portswigger blog, which basically um, if I could actually find it. Um, but basically, it kind of went through like how he like, ripped through the code to be able to understand how the sandbox functions worked, which led him to be able to bypass it. Um, which let me just see if I can find it. Yeah, I think it's this one. Um, this one. Anyway, there's two blog posts that I know are really good, so I guess I'll just share them out anyway. And obviously this is not related to Vue, but they you know kind of coincide together. But basically in one of those blog posts, he goes into detail about like how, you know where you would put the line breaks in the code, where you would, I mean, if they're both wrong, then I'm sorry, <laughs> there's two of them that obviously will be posted. Um, but there's there's two but there's two researchers that he did and one which basically really documented how uh, you would breakpoint the angular code how you would step through it and then how you would make changes to the functions to be able to execute you know what you wanted to do and obviously i think that understanding like how gareth did that probably would take you on the journey of being able to like research something like Vue and being able to understand how those components worked as well um so that's kind of why I really wanted to work with Gareth on something as well because it's just some of the research that he did back in the day was kind of phenomenal. And the same with like watching like parent function explain videos the way he does on his YouTube video. It's yeah, it's very easy to understand different types of issues when someone understands the topic very well. So
0: yeah. yeah. We did link to um his YouTube channel as well for folks. But yeah, this is um it's interesting because I'm looking at the uh, payload for that Gareth put together. And yeah, it looks like it's using that constructor of a constructor to build that function object. So that's yeah. pretty interesting. So normally or, what yeah. you show, sorry.
2: No, 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 you're good. Uh, so I, I guess like Prime function can stop me if I say anything wrong, but obviously you wanna get access to the function constructor because it kind of gives you access to all you know things, JavaScript, so you have access to alert, you have access to, but pretty much Everything that you would want to do. So normally you try and access, you know, you access a, a constructor, and then you access the function constructor, then be able to access things like alert and, you know, whatever you wanted to do, and so on. So, and obviously that can be done through many ways, and it, depending on where you are in the code, or where you find an injection, like you might have to go like multiple levels up until you reach the function constructor. Uh, is that did, did I say anything wrong there, Pone? Or you can definitely jump in and say if I said.
3: No, I think it's 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 correct, yeah. You use the constructor and then you use the constructor again to get the function constructor to uh, ev- eval any code. Basically, it will convert any string to actual JavaScript. Uh, and the way that it runs is uh, in the context of window objects, so you have access to
0: alert and everything else. So, yeah. Hmm, awesome. Yeah. So I have a question not related necessarily to the technical aspects of this, but more so it's not every day that it, uh, we get a chance to talk to researchers that do an in-depth, that do th- this sort of in-depth research on a specific framework for a specific classification of vulnerabilities. So there are a couple of questions that I, I basically had, like, for instance, you know, how how disciplined are you in your note taking? Uh, what's your process like in, in in, in this, um, you know, just sort of like kind of, a. would love to just go behind the scenes ab- about what it's like while you're knee deep in these projects, like, um, how you go about, yeah. Tracking what effort you're doing and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, so, uh, the way that we
3: take notes is at least for this research, um, was just Google Docs. Whatever we find interesting, we'll just take a note of them um, right, right then and there, or else we'll forget about it. Uh, and we did extensive kind of research around the tooling, what we can uh, use, or the tools that are available for developers, such as uh, Vue template compiler uh, and uh, Vue dev tools, all that sort of thing that makes us, you know, uh, makes our. Uh, the entire process of research a lot easier. So, with all the tools and everything, and using the you know tools uh, that are available from the uh, the the browser itself, such as dev tools and everything, uh, we um, basically step through the code um, and uh, also at the same time look at the code uh, because usually uh, whatever you're stepping through it doesn't make sense because everything is just minified and it doesn't make any mm-hmm. literal sense. Uh, As a reference, since it's an open source project, we'll have the code at the other side and uh, sort of map through everything and try to get like a basic understanding of what's actually happening on a high level and then um, just tweak little things and take notes at the same time. Okay, so for this, it it behaves like this uh, and things like that. So as far as tooling, it's just, um, you know, uh, Google Docs We just take, uh, straight up notes. Uh,
2: I think Lewis will add any more points to that. I think at the beginning, it's always organization by chaos. Yeah. <laughs> there was like so many things going on in that document that, like, I, I was like looking at some things and like writing. You know, th- there were components to it. Like, we were asking questions like, "Can what if we could do X?" And then you would either come to a conclusion that you couldn't do it, but. To get to that point, like there was like things everywhere. Like Gareth was putting things in in, in one component. I like, looking at the source code. I was looking at the documentation to understand how things different like different things worked. Pone was kind of doing a correlation of everything, and then we were all jumping into the code. So, yeah, it was. I I think organization by chaos that kind of gets stringed together like a puppet, and then eventually it can like you know move around. So that's kind of like where um, I imagine things going. But when I'm doing like my own personal projects. Um, I think, obviously, like, if anyone's going to start looking at something, I think you have to build as well. So, you know, I think we were spending a lot of time, like, actually use, utilizing uh, re, uh, not React, utilizing Vue to um, kind of understand, like, how it actually fundamentally worked, and then, like, building simple applications to kind of leverage how things might actually kind of execute. And then, obviously, I like to look look more dynamically to begin with, and then jump into, you know, looking at source. but. You know some people like to work backwards too. so I like normally like to like look at okay, so I'm doing these things dynamically. I can see these things getting rendered. I can start adding breakpoints on what I think is actually doing the rendering process, you know what's happening here, you know, step through the breakpoints to try and understand what's going on. and then when things aren't clear, jump to the source code. That's kind of like how I normally you know depending on how you're doing it, but from like a dynamic perspective, Like it's sometimes easy, like some people will probably like argue, but I find it easier to visually map a dynamic usage because you're actually seeing it versus like, okay, these are all the routes that are happening and and so on. So, and it's, it's harder when it's like a framework rather than like a generic application, which has like app.post and so on. You can follow, you know, post routes, but this is like super internal stuff where you're like, there's like 15,000 calls here. I have no idea what's going on. So...
1: Yeah that's I, I mean that's what I was going to say mapping out any sort of um yeah library framework versus an a web app right that has app.post app.get or you know you can run rake routes against right Ken uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a different beast uh, when those frame when that's actually turned on you and it, I spend a lot of time in like API documentation at that point right like what's actually exposed what are the public functions that are accessible how would a developer use those as a as opposed to hey I'm just you know. Yeah, look, again, just looking at the custom code. So it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm drawing some parallels with some assessments and some other things that we're doing. And I think that's what Ken's getting at as well is kind of that information gathering. Like you spend a lot of time going down rabbit holes that don't end up anywhere, right? Like you, you kind of, you, you almost get used to disappointment
2: right? Yeah. A lot oh, right. of the things I actually wrote didn't make it into the blog post, which obviously I'm not, I mean, it's, it's not like, I don't feel hurt about that, but there was, there was so much information there anyway. So like there was tons of things that we did work on, which just didn't make it into the document because it was so big. Like when it was reviewed by, you know, like James Kell etc. like it was just like, some things have to go.
0: Yeah, no, I was actually just more curious about the research process. Um, in general, I didn't realize it um, mimicked. A uh, review pro i mean it makes sense right It, it does make sense that would mimic the like some parts of the assessment process in terms of like the upfront looking at documentation, looking through the use cases building like building with if I had the luxury of doing that with everything that was new, not luxury i shouldn't say that, but time wise i mean it is sort of a you know, if someone gave you like three weeks before you start an assessment to learn something, that would be quite nice, right? But it never happens that way. But like, that would be nice if you could just build something before you go and test it. Um, But again, rarely happens. But yeah, it is curious because I was trying to see, you know, what parallels to draw there. But um, that's interesting. And like, what would you, you know, some folks watching this who maybe they've not, you know, dove into research before, um, you know, any tips that you can provide any sort of like guidance or input or just like, yeah, anything that you can think that maybe someone could have told you before you started getting into, uh, research and doing research that you could pass on to someone else.
2: I'll let parent function talk first. I think he probably has a few things to say. Uh,
3: not really. Uh, <laughs> uh, when it comes to research, I'm just a mess, uh, so I, I don't think I've got good points on that. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, Lewis can, um, uh, you know, start off, and then maybe I could take detour and stuff.
2: Okay. I, I mean, obviously, I, I think so. If, if I was going to do research first, I would avoid code first. Like, don't don't look at the code. Don't be daunted by like the massive amounts of hundreds of thousands of lines of code that have been written over many years to build this you know, wonderful now widely used framework. Just first start building and understanding how the functions are and how everything works and what how things are expected to work. And then kind of start to question like, okay, so I see that they are doing output encoding here, but where are the places they don't do output encoding? You know, what, uh, what could be a potential security issue that I could go and hunt for and maybe try and find. But that's kind of how I would approach it as someone. And like, you know, when I first started to look at it, I was going to the documentation, I was then like clicking like open source and then trying to understand what was going on. And there's just no way, there's just no way that you're gonna to get to a point, if especially if you're new and you haven't looked at like frameworks before or even just written code. Like I'm not a developer by trade. I have done development in the past. I used to be a .NET developer before I got into security. Um, but I would say that my trade isn't, isn't primarily, you know, looking at writing code every single day. So it's very hard for me to get into the mindset of like, you know, I can review code to a certain level. There are certain frameworks and, and languages that I'm very comfortable in, like JavaScript and TypeScript, and you know, I'm starting to get more in, into .NET Core. But like, if it was written in something else, it's going to be, you know, nearly impossible for me to just be able to assume that I'm going to be able to understand those types of issues. So. Uh, or understand like even how the functions are working. So I would normally build the app, try and look at it dynamically and then jump into source once you're a bit more comfortable with how everything's working. And then obviously trying to, jumping on like the mailing list, for example, for those particular uh, uh, working groups, because like, you know, if there's an Angular team or if there's, you know, a a Vue team, I'm sure, I don't know about Vue, we didn't do this in, in our research, but when I was first looking into Angular, I used to jump on the weekly steering committee uh, uh, I believe it was on Google Mail or, or you know, Google, whatever the kind of like threads that are on Google, and it used to have all of like the kind of like what they're working on, new features, and then obviously you could then start to think about like, okay, they're introducing these features, could they be abused from a security perspective, and like those are the kinds of things that you might want to do as a researcher. Um, but I think I'm the same as Pwn Function. I'm pretty chaotic in my in my note taking. I'm pretty chaotic in my my work, uh, but. I think building at least gives me the mental mind map to understand what's going on and then being able to go, OK, so I know that it's calling this function. Let's go take a look at that before it's been transpiled or if it's been uh, minified or obfuscated in some way and then trying to find a different medium to find issues.
3: I think I awesome. like it That's super well. helpful. Sorry. All right, so I'll add a little bit, I guess, or whatever he said Um uh, I'm da- I'm, I'm, I have the exact same kind of thing with it. Uh, basically, approach uh, maybe breadth first. Uh, just try to look at what how the framework uh, works on a high level. Just play around with it. Uh, get to know the features. Uh, be close with the community. Also, uh, one cool place you could uh, visit and, uh, you know, prob- a potentially worth uh, place to start a research would be uh, GitHub issues, uh, you look at other people's uh, issues, and most often than not, you'll find something weird uh, that will take you down a rabbit hole. Eventually, you might find something that's interesting. Uh, that has happened to me quite o- quite often. Uh, so just wanted to add that one as well.
0: Uh, well, we'll send you your check for uh, mentioning GitHub issues in uh, the mail. And uh, <laughs> No, that's awesome. Well, what's interesting is it's not a combative relationship at all from the research side. In fact, it's the opposite. You're both of you. And that surprised me. Not in any way other than I. that's awesome to hear that you all worked with that team and recommend hopping on the Google Forums uh, into the Slack, whatever the team's using to communicate um, that is for me personally, an interesting takeaway, which I think is great. Um, usually or not usually, I just say like, there is this feeling sometimes of like the research community and the development community, um, maybe being at odds, but that's not the case. It is very much like, you know, you need the security research for the product to be good. So I love to see that you all are interacting in that way and uh, recommending that for other researchers is super cool. Yeah.
2: So I didn't, I don't, I wouldn't, I would say I would, I probably haven't really communicated directly through those channels, but I have been obviously using them to, you know, sometimes actually, I have raised a few questions. I did raise some questions about the AngularJS documentation back in the day. Like this was quite a few years ago now. And I was like talking to some of the people that were working on that team uh, through those channels. But uh, like for now, like, it's, especially if you're new, you're probably not going to be asking questions because you're probably going to feel like you're going to ask a dumb question. So like, again, like ultimately, um, people just tend not to ask questions, but actually just reading like how people are wording things, seeing like how they're going they, they intend to implement things can give you like that kind of like spark to kind of go, Oh yeah, actually, like if that kind of does go that way, then this could be a potential security concern. Um, obviously there was the, the interesting research <laughs> in the past. Uh, so that there's a few things that I've seen recently through GitHub actually, which, which is quite interesting. So if you take a look at Mario's AngularJS, like the, the abusive relationship of AngularJS talk, you'll see that how he leverages GitHub to basically, or the uh, basically fixing one issue that opens up a bigger issue kind of thing, which, that, which was very interesting from an attack scenario. It's obviously it got fixed and I don't think they were too happy about it, but it's a very interesting talk. But the one thing that which I saw which kind of I know GitHub introduced, like, the security thing where you can, like, directly report issues through security, but Dom Purify, which is obviously a very popular client-side sanitizer these days, someone actually, like, just on the issues page just published a bypass, like, for the delay, like, 2.2.1 or something like that, and, like, it was, like, and they were, like, oh, crap, maybe you should do this by email next time, but, like, that's a very, like, so, like, it's true what Function said, uh, because I've been to the issues, issues page of many third party libraries in the Node.js ecosystem and just found like an arbitrary, like, you know, payload that was like included in in the GitHub issues kind of thing. And that was obviously before security page was introduced, but it was just very interesting to see because there's been numerous times where I've found so many bugs just
0: by looking at GitHub issues. I'm smiling because one of the, there were two things we recommend. So, you know, Seth and I do this code review course but two of the things we recommend and actually do in each assessment is when you've got a new code base you're looking at uh, new to you anyways uh is going through the issues and looking and just like looking for your broadest most critical like ssrf sql injection xss security just searching for security whatever it may be to see what may be there um and that lends itself to like so for instance if you find a vulnerability in one um Like, let's say it's an org and you find a vulnerability in one code base. Maybe it's a similar type of vulnerability that could be present in their other code bases. Uh, So, that's always an interesting one. And then the other thing is like doing a little bit of uh, git commit message uh, spelunking for those same types of issues. So, like, you know, doing the get parsing through the git log for like CSERF or SQL injection or whatever. So, it's interesting that you say that because it very much mimics the same thing as like an assessment and some of the things we recommend. That's super funny, but. yeah, that's yeah. always really helpful. Like doing that like, I think we call it like his like his what is it called? Like historical. I forget what it's called, but it's like
1: <laughs> historical Oh research. app archaeology? I don't know. App I archaeology, archaeology. archaeology, archaeology. Oh, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that, right? Like you know. Yeah. It's, it's not just like getting to know what's going on. Sorry, yeah.
2: Louis, go ahead. No, no, you're you're good. <laughs> the interesting thing there is like with at least with the DOM purify thing, is that they did modify the message, but because obviously it has a commit history, you can just go up and find the actual payload that was used yeah. for that particular issue. So that was, like, super funny to me. Like, I was just, like, because, like, there's, like, I use uh, a particular mail provider that actually uses DOM Purify, and I was, like, hmm, I don't like that idea of this <laughs> being, like, leaked to the public, but,
0: yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, Dom Purify,
1: DOM Purify is an awesome library. I highly recommend Sorry. we, yeah, Yeah, well, um Guys, we've been going for a good hour. We want to be cognizant of your time because you've been so gracious to come on and talk to us today. Um, is there, it like, I'm trying to figure out how to put a bow on all this. I mean, basically it's go do research, right? But um, if you want to take a, just, you know, another minute or so, um, any recommendations or anything else that you'd like to promote, what's next for you uh, before we wrap things up for today? Uh I mean, Lewis, you want to start? Uh, let's let's get pound function to
2: start because I feel like okay. I've been talking way too much.
3: <laughs>
2: sure.
3: Uh, wait, um, I, I'm not sure I understood the question. Uh, there were multiple parts for it, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just so, anything
0: you want to end the the, the episode on and, you know, sure, anything. Sure. Sometimes this isn't such the case now because nobody's traveling at all. But we, you know, we used to be like, hey, are you speaking anywhere? Are you going to be anywhere anyone can talk to you? And these days, obviously, it's no. <laughs> 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 yeah. But anything else, blog posts, research, anything you want to leave people with, anything you want to talk about? Uh Sure. Um, When it comes to the Vue Jazz, of course, the... Uh, uh
3: the uh the cheat sheet and I, I think we left out a lot of uh a t- a surface for research there's a lot more to look into uh, i i really uh really uh, want people to look more into this uh start off with the uh the blog post that we have and maybe see what are the things that have changed and and um maybe look at how we we primarily didn't look at the router or the Vuex, or the server-side rendering, any of that stuff. That's a huge part to look into. Uh, I really uh, hope people do look into that. And uh, yes, I th- uh, originally I thought I would make a video on this, but um, there's a great blog post out there already, so <laughs> I wouldn't really go about redoing the same thing. But yeah, that's all for me. Uh, I'll be making more videos.
2: That's all. Cool. Hey, okay, Lewis? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I would just, if I was going to say anything, just make sure you stay curious, uh, because, you know, there, like, I, I, there, there have been days where, like, it's the same with, like, when people start doing bug bounties or whatever, like, any anything when you start trying to do security research on something, even depending on how you look at it, is it security research open to interpretation? But people get burnt out very quickly because they don't find anything. And we didn't expect to find anything with the view stuff. I mean... I, I mean, I knew I would because I was working with Gareth and Pone, so I was, I was pretty confident we were going to find something. Uh, but and obviously, we already knew issues existed because of obviously uh, it already allowed for you know reflection of expressions and so on. Um, so maybe like, like so, some of the work that's been done recently in the research community, like such as like you know James Kettle when they were doing like cash poisoning and stuff, that was like work that was already done in the past. So I mean, obviously, just like seeing research get released, don't assume that that's going to be the end of research. Um, try and um, take something that someone's already done and see if you can improve it. Like there are tons of amazing blog posts that kind of like expand upon what someone else has done. It's the same for like, a, you know, you should definitely take a look at view and expand on the work that we've done. The same for like, don't assume a framework has completely been reviewed just because it's been looked at by one person. There's always gonna be bugs. It's the same for like bug bounties. It's the same for looking at systems. If someone pokes at GitHub one day, they, you know, it's the same with like the, if you look at the XSS issue that got, um, um, that uh, uh, live overflow um, basically released about Google.com, which Google DE, which had the the, the mutation XSS. Um, that was that like they that issue was didn't exist until like they made code changes and then it got released and pushed and then they already had a check for that particular issue, but somehow it got lost. And then they were able to you know get XSS on Google.com, which was huge. But you know just because like that issue wasn't there before doesn't mean it's not going to potentially occur in the future. So always monitoring, you know, things you're interested in uh, seeing changes to the code and so on will obviously take you down a potential path of finding issues. That's kind of what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: It's a very good video too. I guess we could link that. Um,
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, we appreciate you coming on, taking your, taking time out of your day to, uh, you know, give us a little bit of insight into your process and then also everything Vue.js related. Right. Um, it's been, yeah, it's, it's always good to, to see how people are, um, yeah, doing their research and jumping into all of the things. So, um, Ken, any final thoughts then before we wrap up today?
0: I love, uh, Lewis's, what looks to be the Bay Area OWASP. It is, yeah. Uh, So I'm
2: one of the organizers for uh, OWASP Bay Area. And ultimately, like this was given to me just before COVID hit. So it's been in my apartment uh, this entire time and this is the first time I pulled it out of storage. So so it's, it's nice to have it, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I thought that was cool. But uh, no, sorry, besides that, no, yeah, great episode. Thank you um, for your time and for coming on and sharing this information with folks and for putting out this research. Like, you know, it's not a small thing that you all do and contribute and uh, it's very valuable. And uh, yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, yeah, we will get this episode up and posted. Um, we'll put your you know, Twitter handles up there, all that kind of stuff. So people can you know, reach out if they have other questions. Um, otherwise, thanks everyone today for joining us. As always get involved with the conversation, get involved with research, join us on Slack, join us on Twitter. Um, we love talking about this kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, reach out. And hopefully we'll see everyone again. I, I don't, I can't remember if we, yeah, next week. So, We'll be back on. Awesome. All right. right. Thanks, everyone. Later. Thanks.